Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says. Hey, today we're going to a tea party. Yipper, we're going to the Boston Tea Party. Now, I know you've all heard of the Boston Tea Party, but I think there's some things I can tell you that you didn't know about the Boston Tea Party. For instance, most people think that we fought that war because we didn't like to be taxed so high. Well, <laughs> that wasn't it at all. In fact, the colonists were taxed less than their brothers back in England were taxed. Nope, they weren't angry about having too much taxes. They were angry about the way they were taxed. You see, the British Crown passed the law and they had no authority to do so. In other words, they were breaking their own constitutional law to tax the colonists the way they were taxing them. They reduced the taxes on that tea, all except for a little bit of tax that was used to pay the salaries of the appointed governors and, and officials here in America. <laughs> now, let me tell you about the Boston Tea Party. Today's lesson is about the men who were willing to do the right thing even at the risk of their own lives. The Boston merchants. Now, these weren't soldiers and army men and and militia and such like. These were Boston merchants, the storekeepers. They dressed up like Mohawk Indians. Uh, now, they, they weren't angry about the cost of the English tea, no. Uh, even with the tax, it was still cheaper than the black market tea from Holland. In fact, that was a whole idea. Uh, England had lowered the price to do just that so that they wouldn't be buying that black market tea anymore. Even with the tax, it was still cheaper than that black market tea. But, folks, it's the principle. It's the principle of the thing, guys. It was the fact that they should pay no tax at all on that tea. No tax at all. <laughs> That's why they had the tea party. Does America still do the right thing just because it was the right thing to do? Well, here is what happened, what really happened, and it's in the words of a George Hughes, who was actually there. Here goes. The tea destroyed was contained in three ships lying near each other at what was called at that time Griffin's Wharf, and were surrounded by armed ships of war, the commanders of which had publicly declared that if the rebels, as they were pleased to style the Bostonians, should not withdraw their opposition to the landing of the tea before a certain day, the 17th day of December, 1773, they should on that day force it on shore under cover of their cannon's mouth. On the day preceding the 17th, there was a meeting of the citizens convened at one of the churches in Boston for the purpose of consulting on what measures might be considered expedient to prevent the landing of the tea or secure the people from the collection of the duty. At that meeting, a committee was appointed to wait on Governor Hutchinson and request him to inform them whether he would take any measures to satisfy the people on the object of the meeting. To the first application of this committee, the governor told them he would give them a definite answer by five o'clock in the afternoon. At the hour appointed, the committee again repaired to the governor's house and on inquiry found he had gone to his country seat at Milton, a distance of about six miles. When the committee returned and informed the meeting of the absence of the governor, there was a confused murmur among the members, and the meeting was immediately dissolved, many of them crying out, Let every man do his duty and be true to his country! 
and there was a general huzzah for Griffin's Wharf. <laughs> it was now evening, and I immediately dressed myself in the costume of an Indian, equipped with a small hatchet, which I and my associates denominated the tomahawk, and a club, and after having painted my face and hands with coal dust in the shop of a blacksmith, I repaired to Griffin's Wharf, where the ships lay that contained the key. When I first appeared in the street, after being thus disguised, I fell in with many who were dressed, equipped, and painted as I was, and who fell in with me and marched in order to the place of our destination. When we arrived at the wharf, there were three of our number who assumed authority to direct our operations, to which we readily submitted. They divided us into three parties for the purpose of boarding the three ships which contained the tea at the same time. The name of him who commanded the division to which I was assigned was Leonard Pitt. The names of the other commanders I, I never knew. We were immediately ordered by their respective commanders to board all the ships at the same time, which we promptly obeyed. The commander of the division to which I belonged, as soon as we were on board the ship, appointed me boatswain, and ordered me to go to the captain and demand of him the keys to the hatches and a dozen candles. I made the demand accordingly, and the captain promptly replied and delivered the articles, but requested me at the same time to do no damage to the ship or rigging. We then were ordered by our commander to open the hatches, take out all the chests of tea, and throw them overboard, and we immediately proceeded to execute his orders first cutting, then splitting the chests with our tomahawks, so as thoroughly to expose them to the effects of the water. In about three hours from the time we went on board, we had thus broken and thrown overboard every tea chest to be found in the ship, while those in the other ships were disposing of the tea in the same way, at the same time. We were surrounded by British armed ships, but no attempt was made to resist us. We then quietly retired to our several places of residence, without having any conversation with each other, or taking any measures to discover who were our associates, nor do I recollect of our having had the knowledge of the name of a single individual concerned in that affair, except that of Leonard Pitt, the commander of my division, whom I have mentioned. There appeared to be an understanding that each individual should volunteer his services, keep his own secret, and risk the consequences for himself. No disorder took place during that transaction, and it was observed at the time that the stillest night ensued that Boston had enjoyed for many months. Now, during the time we were throwing the tea overboard, there were several attempts made by some of the citizens of Boston and its vicinity to carry off small quantities of it for their family's use. To effect that object, they would watch their opportunity to snatch up a handful from the deck, where it became plentifully scattered, and put it into their pockets. One Captain O'Connor, whom I knew well, came on board for that purpose, and when he supposed he was not noticed, filled his pockets and also the lining of his coat. But I had detected him, and gave information to the captain of what he was doing. We were ordered to take him into custody, and just as he was stepping from the vessel, I seized him by the skirt of his coat, and in attempting to pull him back, I tore it off. But springing forward by a rapid effort, he made his escape. He had, however, to run the gauntlet through the crowd upon the wharf, each one as he passed, giving him a kick or a stroke. 
Another attempt was made to save a little tea from the ruins of the cargo by a tall, aged man who wore a large cocked hat and a white wig, which was fashionable at that time. He had slightly slipped a little into his pocket. But being detected, they seized him, and taking his hat and wig from his head, threw them, together with the tea, of which they had emptied his pockets, into the water. In consideration of his advanced age, he was permitted to escape, with now and then a slight kick. The next morning, after we had cleared the ships of the tea, it was discovered that uh, very considerable quantities of it were floating upon the surface of the water, and to prevent the possibility of any of its being saved for use, a number of small boats were manned by sailors and citizens who rowed them into those parts of the harbor wherever the tea was visible, and by beating it with oars and paddles, so thoroughly drenched it as to render its entire destruction inevitable. Well, folks, until next time, remember, you're learning the truth. Tell your friends, speak with boldness, but keep your powder dry.